Welcome to the Diabetes Primetime Podcast, where we talk to diabetes experts about how to live a long, healthy life with diabetes. If you'd like to learn more, visit us at www.diabeteswhattoknow.com or just search Diabetes What to Know on Facebook. We're always posting new articles, videos, and tools that make living a healthy life easier. Welcome to Diabetes Primetime, everybody. I'm so glad that you're able to join us. Tonight, we have the privilege of talking with diabetes specialist, Dr. John Anderson, about the things that every person with type 2 diabetes should know, diabetes complications, alcohol, medications, and more. Dr. Anderson, we are so excited to get to talk with you tonight. You've been the president of the American Diabetes Association, and you're really one of the preeminent physicians working in diabetes tonight. So thank you so much for joining us. Well, Ashley, thank you for having me. (laughs) I want to start by talking about the thing that's on everybody's mind right now, and that's COVID-19. What is important for people with diabetes to know when it comes to the coronavirus? Okay, this is such a hot topic. We have this conversation all the time in the office with our patients. First of all, you are not more likely to contract the COVID virus just because you have diabetes. However, patients with diabetes are at increased risk of a severity of the disease. And as we talk in practice not everybody's the same with type 2 diabetes, right? So if you're early in the disease with no comorbidities, then you're at relatively low risk. If you're someone who's had diabetes for a long time, maybe you've had some micro or macrovascular complications, then you are at increased risk. So an abundance of caution is needed for the people who have diabetes who have some complications from their disease. So obviously everybody's trying to be careful, you know, to prevent developing it, but it sounds like for people with diabetes, that's even more important. So having food delivered, taking whatever precautions we can to, to avoid developing it, to prevent those Absolutely. potential complications. Absolutely. And also making sure that you've got all your medications, that you're in contact with your care team and your provider. If for some reason you do get the coronavirus, then you really need to be talking about sick day protocols, increased monitoring, hydration. Um, You may talk to your provider if you're on an SGLT2 inhibitor, you're not having a good oral intake. So there's just, again, be in contact with your team. Let them know how you're doing. I think that's that's a a really good advice. One question I do have is, is the risk of developing complications less for people who have well-managed diabetes, or do we not know that yet? We know that management of diabetes, particularly the hyperglycemia, the glucose, over time, makes a big difference. We have landmark trials in both type 1 and type 2 diabetes that say the better you control your diabetes and the longer you can control your diabetes, the lower your risk for complications, particularly for what we call those small vessel complications like kidney disease, eye disease, and nerve disease in the feet. So really probably no reason to think that COVID-19 should be any different. So you mentioned making sure that you're in contact with your doctor, talking about a six-day plan, talking about, you know, what should I do if I get sick? I know probably a lot of people are having more telemedicine appointments. Is there any advice you would have for patients who are having telemedicine appointments about how to get the most out of that time with their doctor? That is a great question because we're doing a lot more of this, but it's almost like being in the office, right? Be prepared for your visit. You're not going to necessarily be able to come in and get blood work drawn, but if you are checking glucoses at home, have your meter downloaded or at least have an average of how your fasting glucoses are doing. Maybe some evenings, maybe some postprandials. If you're on a CGM, then go ahead and download it so you can talk about your coefficient of variation. You can talk about your averages. Make sure you understand what refills you need that day. Frequently, the nurse will have teed that up for you. And then come with your two or three questions or concerns like you would with any office visit. Again, being prepared for your office visit just makes it much more efficient and much more beneficial to you. 
Great advice. And really great, great advice, no matter whether it's a telemedicine right. appointment or a regular appointment, be prepared. Yeah. This is your time. All right. I know that's going to be helpful and reassuring for a lot of people. So thank you for covering it. Okay, Dr. Anderson, let's take a step back. Tell us what you think is the most important thing for people with diabetes to know about managing diabetes. When I talk to patients, especially the newly diagnosed patient, there's a couple things we want to talk about. One, this isn't your fault right? There are so many different factors, genetic and otherwise, that make up the diag- the reason for getting type 2 diabetes. The other part is this is not a sprint. It's a marathon. This is a chronic disease. It's something you're going to have the rest of your life. So, we just want to make sure that we understand that we want to keep your diabetes under control long term. And we also understand there's going to be bumps in the road. And that's okay. The key is that we just need to have a care team that you feel comfortable with going forward. And one final thing, while your care team can help, this is your disease. You're the one who's going to be responsible for, you know, we're the coaches, we're the people who can help you navigate, but you're the one who has to do all the hard work because it really, you really own this disease. You know, you alluded to that when we were talking earlier about, you know, be prepared for your doctor's appointment. This is our condition, you know, the doctor's there to help, but really the onus is on us as the person with the condition to, you know, take the lead and asking questions, advocating for ourselves. So I'm so glad you brought that up. So we said that this show was about the basics, and when it comes to the basics, it's really what the ADA calls the ABCs. So remind us, for anyone who's not familiar with that term, what are the ABCs of diabetes? The ABCs of diabetes are control of blood sugar, control of blood pressure, and control of cholesterol. So A in the ABCs is your A1C. That's that three-month average of how your diabetes has been doing, and we know that a lower A1C is associated with less risk for those small vessel diseases of the eye, kidney, and the nerve endings in the feet. B is blood pressure. Many patients with type 2 diabetes, I would say the vast majority, have associated blood pressure and hypertension issues, so control of your blood pressure is important, as well as C, which is control of cholesterol. And it's control of blood pressure and cholesterol that seem to really markedly reduce those large vessel risks for stroke, heart attack, vascular disease, and the legs. So I'm so glad you brought that up because I think sometimes uh, people with diabetes can get really locked in on those blood glucose numbers and that A1C number, and we forget how important those the blood pressure and cholesterol numbers are. So what I hear you saying is those are especially important when it comes to preventing the, the real complications of diabetes. Exactly. And and since many patients with type 2 diabetes have hypertension and high cholesterol, it's common for these patients to be on blood pressure medicines, maybe one, two, or three. Most patients with type 2 diabetes, with rare exceptions, need to be on a statin medication. These are the studies that show that they can markedly reduce the risk for heart attack and stroke. So, yes, it's not just about blood sugar. While that's important, we want to look at everything. So in broad strokes, and obviously, folks, you want to talk to your doctor to understand what your targets are for each of these numbers. But in broad strokes, what does the ADA say we should be shooting for with each number? So for hemoglobin A1C, the ADA recommends in general that patients have an ideal A1C less than 7.0%. Now, AACE, the American Association of Clinical Endocrinologists, and even the ADA say if you're young and healthy with very few comorbidities, you might even think about getting less than 6.5%. With blood pressure, we typically talk about less than 140 over 90, although most of us in clinical practice like to see our patients a little closer to the 130 over 80. The cholesterol that poses the greatest risk for heart attack and stroke is called the LDL cholesterol. That's the low-density lipoprotein. And in people with diabetes, you want to aim for less than 100. Now, if you've had an event 
a stent, a heart attack, a stroke, any kind of vascular event, then the LDL cholesterol target becomes less than 70. So those are things that you ought to always discuss with your diet. Am I hitting my mark? Am I where I need to be? And when you get your laboratory back, uh, look at those and, and, and reflect on them and make sure that you and your doctor are in communication. So folks, as you can see from this, from just even as much as we've done so far, Dr. Anderson is a true expert. If there is a friend or family member who you think would benefit from hearing his wisdom, please tag them in the comments or share this video on your page. We're trying to make good science-based diabetes education accessible to people, and we really appreciate your help in making it available to as many people as possible. We hear again and again from diabetes experts how important it is for people with diabetes to take the medicines that have been prescribed. Why does this matter so much? Just like anything else, whether it's treatment of depression or blood pressure, cholesterol, treatment of diabetes requires that the patient take the medication as prescribed, stick to the medication over time, refill the medication over time, anticipate, you know, you need a refill and you see three pills left. It's time to get a refill. We don't wait till we run out. And there have been a lot of studies looking at adherence. Adherence means the sticking to your medication. That when you have low adherence rates, people not taking their medications, you see an increase in complications, both heart attack and stroke, microvascular or small blood vessels complications. You see increased hospitalizations, increased ER visits, increased cost. So there really is a cost to not taking your medications regularly. And so I always encourage our patients, and our nurses do this when they come in. How are you taking your medicines? Have you missed any doses? And you want to try to do that in a very non-confrontational way because everybody forgets at some point in time. But it's important to be honest and open with your provider about medications, especially if you're having difficulty with them. You know, one of um, our my favorite videos that we've done is one actually of you talking about why it's so important to be honest with your doctor. If you just don't like the side effects that you're experiencing, talk to your doctor. If you're having a hard time affording the medication, talk to your doctor. I just think it's really important for people to hear from physicians how much they appreciate hearing what's actually on people's minds, that you're there to help them and work with them, not to be an obstacle. Right. And I'm not here to judge either. So if you're having the side effect of the medicine, I've touted that this medicine has so many benefits, but you come in and you can't tolerate it, you know, put yourself in that position. I'm not going to take a medication every day for many years that I can't tolerate that makes me feel poorly. No one would. So it's not a judgment, but just let us know. We can't know unless you share that information with it. The other thing that I think patients are sometimes reluctant to talk about is cost. You know, they're a little embarrassed that they can't afford the medication. That's okay. We need to hear that because maybe we can find a less costly alternative. Maybe your formulary has changed and it's no longer covered. Don't just stop the medicine and wait three or four months till you see me. Let's hear about that in real time so that we can make decisions. When we have information from you, we can together make good decisions. So for many people with diabetes, their goal is to get off of diabetes medication. But we know that diabetes is a chronic condition, and for a lot of people, it is going to progress over time. So talk a little bit about why getting off medication may not be a realistic goal and, and what a better goal might be for someone to have. It's such a good question because we hear this, well, how long will I have to be on this medicine? And I say, well, I don't know. Here are the goals. You know, we just talked about it. Here's where I need you to be. Now, if you can be at these goals and I never have to prescribe another medication, I'm as happy as you are. But we have to hit our points. So if a patient wants to get off a medication, the question is, A, is that realistic? B, if you have a patient who, say, is very overweight and gets very committed to exercise, diet, weight loss, a better lifestyle then I'm happy to be the first person to take them off the medication as long as we're still hitting our goals. But to your point, for most patients, 
Most of the time we put them on these medications short of some drastic change in lifestyle. These medications are going to be on board for a while and it's okay. Nobody judges you by how many medications you're on. What I judge you by is, is your diabetes controlled? Are you going to be in the provider's office 20 years from now with this disease with no complications, even if you have a handful of medications? That's called winning. And that's a, such a great point. One of our favorite endocrinologists, Dr. Rich Jackson, says, you know, a person with an A1C of seven on two medications is doing better than someone with an A1C of 8.5 on no medications. That really the only target, the only number that matters is not the number of medications, but our A1C and blood pressure and cholesterol. So I'm so glad to it's, hear you say that. And I'll give you the example. And I use this all the time in practice. I had an African-American male about five years ago come in with his handful of medicines. So I'm tired of taking all these blah, blah. He's about 68 or nine years old. Bad hypertension, four medications, diabetes on three medications, cholesterol, also had triglyceride issues. And he's, he was taking a lot of medications. And he said, you know, I'm just tired of taking these medicines. So let's walk back. I understand. Here are the goals. But let's look back at 1970. He goes, yeah, I wouldn't be on as many medicines. I said, you wouldn't be here. Statistically, you would have died of a heart attack or stroke. And here you are with no complications, doing well. I know it's a problem taking all these medications. He looks at me, he goes, so just shut up and take the medications. I said, <laughs> something like that. Well, I do think that that's a great reframe that, that, you know, we do have a lot of medications now that are, you know, enabling people to live longer, healthier right. lives and, you know, gratitude that we can move around, that, you know, we have mobility, that, that we're here. I think that's, that's very important. All right. So we've covered medications. Let's change gears a little bit and talk about the lifestyle changes that can be really helpful for living a healthy life with diabetes. Where do you recommend that your patients start? Start with incremental change, right? If you have a weight issue and you want to try to start losing weight, oh, Dr. Anderson, by the time I come back in three months, I'll have 30 pounds off. No, 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 no. Let's start with incremental change. I usually try to talk about low-hanging fruit. For me, things like sugar, sweetened beverages, Sprite, Coke, Mountain Dew, you know what I'm talking about, a lot of juices. And of course, in the South, sweet tea sweet is like tea. religion. So you have to talk about things that maybe they can make simple changes. If you have bread with every meal, maybe we talk about this. And of course, I don't have the expertise or the time. I frequently think this is when you need to use the care team. Refer to a CDE, refer to a dietitian. Have somebody be able to sit down for an hour with you and look at your preferences and likes and then start to make changes. If it's activity level or exercise, you know, if you're an elderly person and you've got arthritis and you only walk down to the mailbox once a day, I ask them, can you walk down there twice a day? Can you walk down there three times a day? What can you do that's an incremental improvement? But what we really are focusing on, especially with type 2 diabetes in most of our patients, is decreasing the insulin resistance by lowering body weight. Wow. Okay. So I hear you say a couple important things. One, it doesn't have to be huge. We don't have to start right. trying to run marathons and become a vegan, but even, you know, meet with a dietitian, figure out what small changes you can make and that those will have a big impact over time. Right. And the other thing we talk about that I think is increasingly popular is an exercise prescription, right? Well, Put like it, that. you know, I still have a prescription pad, even though everything's almost electronic. You know, if you have something that you two have come to a shared decision making and agreed to, write it down as a prescription. I will do the following on Monday, Wednesdays and Fridays and on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and then I'll take the weekend off. Whatever it is, have them accountable. When they come back, that's in the medical record. You just go, hi, Joe, how you doing? Tell me about that exercise prescription. 
I love that. I also like, you know, we've just spent so much time talking about how important medications is. You get a prescription for a, med- for a medication. You know, exercise is really important too, being active. So, you know, getting a prescription for that kind of underscores that it really matters also. All right. I have a specific question from one of our viewers, Pat, who actually has type one diabetes. He wants to know the impact that alcohol can have on managing diabetes. What would you say to Pat? Alcohol can be complicated because if you're having a sugary alcoholic beverage, it can certainly contribute, especially in type 1 diabetes, to postprandial glucose spikes. So you have to cover for that. We also know that alcohol's effect on lowering blood sugar, hypoglycemia, can occur hours after consuming alcohol. So if you've had a little too much alcohol, one that you're not used to or accustomed to, you may find, especially if it's an evening, you may find at 2 or 3 a.m. you're at risk for hypoglycemia. So when we talk about alcohol, we usually want to talk about having alcohol with meals, not alcohol by itself. And everybody's different, so you need to be aware of how alcohol alcohol affects you in terms of your glucose. Got it. So maybe checking blood glucose a little more often is a good idea and being aware that it can probably trying to eat it with some sort of food to make sure that you're preventing lows. So we know you alluded to this earlier. We know lifestyle plays a role in managing diabetes and many people with type 2 blame themselves for having developed it. And I think for a lot of people, that feeling of like, I could have prevented this if only I'd worked harder means that it's hard to kind of think about what we, how we want to get started managing it now. Can you help us, help us reframe that attitude and recognize all the things that come into play in treating a chronic disease like diabetes? Sure. And I think this, this is unfortunately the, the blame game. And we've, even when we've lobbied Congress on behalf of people with diabetes with the American Diabetes Association, sometimes we'll get, sometimes we'll get that sort of, well, isn't this their fault? No, it's not. Now, there's no question that increasing age contributes to the onset of diabetes. Well, we're not going to fix that. We know that the obesity epidemic <laughs> contributes, but of people who are in that category of obese, only 20% of them have diabetes. The vast majority do not. And we have plenty of people who are not obese who have type 2 diabetes. So there's all kinds of genetic and what we call epigenetic factors. And so putting the blame on oneself doesn't help. We also know that this blame game can cause a lot of diabetes distress as well as depression. So I think if we can talk to our patients and we feel like that's what we're hearing from them, let's reframe the conversation. Okay, here's where we are at point A. Here's where we would like to be in three months six months, a year. Let's talk about how I can help you get to that point. Let's make it positive. Let's talk about things like we said before. What incremental changes can we make? And and let's have that conversation in a more positive way instead of, well, you know, if you don't do this, I'm going to have to start you on insulin. Well, if you don't do this, I'm going to have to add another medicine. That's the wrong conversation to be having with patients. I think that's so, so inspiring. I do have to ask you, do you have any people in your practice for whom being diagnosed with diabetes was kind of a wake-up call where they were like, okay, you know what? This was kind of the, the, the moment I needed to say I'm going to start prioritizing health and they actually started living a healthier life because of the diagnosis? Oh, absolutely. It's a great question, Ansley. Um, and I'll, I'll extend to one more. Not just a new diagnosis of diabetes, but a new diagnosis of prediabetes has done the same thing. Have a patient who came in three months ago uh, for a physical, you know, routine screening, some family history, A1C of 6.8, overweight, inactive. I saw him, and he's in his mid-50s, I saw him last week. His A1C is 5.9. I put him on a minimal dose of metformin, and he had lost 21 pounds. Wow. So we see this all the time. It can be a wake-up call. 
I would like to have our providers and physicians having this discussion just with the people who are overweight and have risk or who have pre-diabetes because I've seen the same thing. You know, they don't want to get diabetes, so they do the same thing with lifestyle. And again, that's where we say, do you need help with a dietitian? Do you need help with an exercise specialist? Do we need to talk to your family member? Who does the cooking at home? Who does the shopping at home? Let's make this a team approach. I love that. All right. So we've talked about a little bit about prevention. I know a lot of people with type 2 diabetes are very concerned about complications and, and understandably so. What's the main thing that people with diabetes should know about complications? Complications, both the small vessels that I've alluded to and the large vessels, are a result of those ABCs. So controlling your blood glucose over time makes a big difference. Market, market, 60 to 70% reduction in nerve ending disease in the feet, some 50 to 60% reduction in kidney disease and eye disease. So starting off, getting yourself under control early makes a big difference and making sure that your blood pressure and cholesterol are controlled. It's one of those things that we see in practices called clinical inertia that we really try to avoid. Well, Dr. Anderson, if you'll just give me another three months, I promise you I'm going to have that weight down. Well, okay, I'm back for my three-month follow-up. I know I didn't do it, but I really want to, you know, I want to get the, no, I don't want to take a medicine yet. Well, the goal here is that all the studies show getting under control early has a long-term effect. So the longer we kick the can down the road with this negotiation, the worse you are at risk for complications. So as to your point in the question earlier, let's get you under control now. If for some reason we can then come off of medication, certainly we can have that discussion as well. I think that's great. You know, you alluded to this just a second ago, but one of the main complications that we hear a lot of frustration about is diabetic neuropathy. So pain in the feet uh, because of nerve damage. People are in a lot of pain and they really struggle with it. What would you suggest to anyone who's dealing with, with diabetic neuropathy? First of all, have a comprehensive approach. Do you need to have a podiatrist? Does your provider, endocrinologist, primary care provider, um, are they addressing this? Really, for diabetic peripheral neuropathy, there are only a couple of medications that are actually approved by the FDA for that, and that's pregabalin and duloxetine. But we've used a lot of other things like tricyclic antidepressants. There have been topical things that we've used. Um, so there are a variety of medications to try. The other thing that's important for people with diabetic peripheral neuropathy is not only let's try to get you free of pain and numbness and tingling, but you are at risk for limb injuries. So daily foot inspection, not going barefoot, wearing good socks and shoes, inspecting your feet. If you're overweight and you can't see your feet, have someone else in your family inspect your feet every night. So it's about one, trying to relieve the discomfort because it is a really difficult problem for some people with diabetes. And then number two, prevention. Gosh, and it sounds like just from what you were saying earlier too, the more we can do to try to get those ABCs to target, the right. more we're going to prevent complications. Because I think some people think, you know, blindness is inevitable, you know, feet problems are inevitable. But what I hear you saying is that's, that's just not the case. No, it's not inevitable. And I think that conversation needs to start at the time of diagnosis. You know, if, if you end up having something as terrible as an amputation, I'm going to see that as you and I have failed each other in terms of trying to prevent that because those are preventable complications. Oh, what a good message. All right. So you talked a little bit about CGM earlier, and I'm just curious to hear there's a lot of new technology in diabetes and especially for people with type 2 diabetes. What patients do you feel benefit most from giving technology like a continuous glucose monitor a try? Who at home watching should, what should we be asking ourselves to decide, is this something I want to talk to my doctor about? Right. Well, CGMs or continuous glucose monitoring is, is sort of standard of care now, I think, for people with type 1 diabetes because you're either on a pump or you're doing multiple daily injections and being able to 
anticipate, see in real time the fluctuations, help carbohydrate content and bolusing with insulin. It's really important. Now, for type 2, it's probably not appropriate for the vast majority. But if you have type 2 diabetes and you're on insulin, if you have type 2 diabetes and you're on both basal, long-acting, and short-acting insulin, then it certainly makes sense. One of the good things that we have is over the last 20 years, we have new medications for type 2 diabetes that have actually forestalled. And what we're seeing is the first injectable in type 2 diabetes is being pushed back and is no longer always going to be insulin. So that's good. So there are people um, for whom in type 2 diabetes, a CGM might make sense, especially if you're dosing insulin several times a day. Got it. All right. That makes so much sense. Wow. This has been such an amazing show, Dr. Anderson. You have shared so much great information and in such a straightforward, no BS way. That's why we love you. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. 